Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon at Fountain City Church. We hope that you are blessed by this message today. If you'd like to learn more, you can check out our website at fountaincity.org. We are beginning a new series today from the book of Mark. Say Mark. That's right. And my desire today is really just to introduce um, this gospel to you. And, uh, and to really talk about why it's important for us to wrestle with it the way that we are. And so today, if I can just give you a little preview, um, this is going to be as much like a, piece, a PSA, a public service announcement about how we're going to go through this gospel as much as it is going through the gospel today. And I really want to talk about the context and why we're doing what we're doing. And so our goal in this series is kind of twofold. First off, as a community, and like we're still in the first year of what it means to be a church plant, we really want to immerse ourselves in the scripture. How many of you know that's really important? We want to immerse ourselves. For my generation, I'm turning 37 this year, um, my generation and below, we have very low knowledge of the scriptures. Um, uh, For a lot of us, we don't really have a biblical worldview. We're not grounded in the text. And so we can believe anything if we don't know what the word says, right? Are you with me? And there's lots of different doctrines out there and ways that people want us to believe. And so we're saying as a community that it is valuable for us not just to preach inspirationally. That's good. It's not valuable uh, just to preach topically. Also good. But we also want to dig into the scriptures and see what Jesus was doing, what he was saying to this community of people 2,000 years ago, and how that impacts us today. Are you with me? Um, And so we want to be a people who immerses ourselves in the scriptures. And so here is what I'm going to attempt with every bit of my passion and fortitude. We're going we're gonna to try to not move through Mark in a hurried way. We're going to try to just pace ourselves. Now, if you know me at all, this is not my strength. I really love like blazing a trail and having a nice start and a nice finish. That's, that's just not what we're going to do with um, the gospel of Mark. Uh, we are rather going to move through in in an unhurried way, and we're going to stop along the way as we need to address topical conversations that come out of the text, Um, because as we work through Mark, you're going to start to find issues that we're struggling with today, and you're going to find things in your own life and in your own family that suddenly start to pop up, and as the Spirit leads us, we're just going to pause on on the gospel of Mark, moving through textually, and we'll stop and we'll speak to those things. And we'll also have guests in who are going to share. And so we're, this is going to be kind of like the background soundtrack to our church for the next foreseeable future. Is that cool? Like it's the thing in the background that just doesn't stop. It keeps playing. And we're going to interject other things in the middle of that every now and then. Um, and so thanks, Caleb, for the reminder. I appreciate it. Um, and so this is not going to be a quick series with finish lines. It's going to be this ongoing study. Uh, again, why are we doing this? Why are we doing this as a community? Uh, many of us are new to faith, or we grew up in churches where there was only topical preaching. How many of you grew up and that was kind of the mainstay, just moving from topic to topic? And look, I believe that that is powerful, and I believe it's healthy. Uh, most of the New Testament, all the epistles are topical preaching. Okay, so well, I'm not, we're not demonizing that. That's how we've done the first six months of church planting, is preaching topically on the things that God was putting in our hearts. But we also want to flex a different muscle in this season, and we want to build this place in our community and for us individually where we are grounded in the Scripture. Um, And so we feel like this is really important. And the reason that this is so important to me is that my job is a part of what Ephesians says that the role of the church is. It's to equip you for works of service. 
It's, it's to mature you. It's to build you up in unity and in knowledge. Uh, and so for us, the scriptures are going to be a center point of that. Now here's a word of caution that I want to share as well. You do not have to be a scholar to be a follower of Jesus. Are you with me? I don't know if you grew up in a tradition where that was like a pressure point, where you needed to be an intellectual giant. That is not what we say. In fact, Jesus surrounded himself with men uh, who were, they were so unintelligent, you know, that it was noted in the Sanhedrin, these guys must have been with Jesus. There's no other way they would have known that, you know. Um, and so the marker for what it means for us to follow Jesus is that you are spending intimate time with the Savior and he's transforming your life. You do not have to be a scholar with a whiteboard and know how to define everything in Greek. And Look, that's valuable. It's not the point, okay? And so, but that kind of is my job. <laughs> and so I want to make sure I'm doing my job so that you can do what God's called you to do. Are you with me? Um, I'm going to keep saying, are you with me, just to make sure you are. All right. Um, and so you don't have to be a scholar. Um, what else do I have here? Maybe you're here today. I think this is an invitation for this. Um, as we start into this, maybe you don't have like a consistent rhythm of just being in the, the scriptures. Maybe that's just, if you're honest, you're just like, man, I, I really love Jesus. He's done some really cool stuff in my life. I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. Okay. So today is a really good invitation for you to start. All right. We're going to be reading Mark together. Suddenly you have a way to deepen your understanding of the scripture and no judgment. Man, there's no pressure. It is an invitation for you to step in and to meet Jesus in a fresh way. And we're going to talk about the culture and why things are important that he emphasizes. But can we just as a community, can we agree that this is going to be vital for us to learn how to follow Jesus? Vital. And so for your life, maybe today you're not practicing that. Um, I just want to encourage you to take a step. And if you need a way to start with that, maybe just read through Mark with us. Just at your own pace as we go through this study, start somewhere. Uh, we've got lots of people in here who are um, really deep in the Word and can be very knowledgeable for you to speak with and engage with. We can connect you with them. But beyond that, we want you to just get into a habit of stepping in. Okay? Um, the reason that this is really important also is that if we're not living rooted in the Scriptures, we will misappropriate them to mean whatever we want. And my generation is professional at this. Right? We can take a text and make it read whatever we want. Uh, and so we really want to fight for that, all right? So firstly, we want to immerse ourselves in the Scripture for the foreseeable future. Um, and no matter what tradition or movement you're a part of, I want to encourage you, if you're not doing this, it's dangerous, um, whether it's in your personal study time or corporately. Uh, so secondly, the thing that we want to do is I want to invite you guys to step into the world of the first century Jew. I don't want us just reading this as people in 2019. For us to really understand the scripture, we have to put on those leather sandals that they wore 2,000 years ago and get into their perspective. Uh, we have to understand their experience and why Mark is so powerful. Because there is this urgency of Jesus' claim that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. And if he is those things, it changes everything. Everything. And so as we push through the, the gospel of Mark, I want you to step into their perspective and to experience Jesus' coming the way they would have experienced it so that you can apply it to your life in a way that makes sense. Um, and so this is really valuable for us. And for me, I'm really excited because I can't think of a better way for us to start into the fall and into next year than to surround ourselves and anchor ourselves in who Jesus is and what he does. This is what it means to be a Christ follower. 
It is all about Jesus. If he was to fall, like walk in here bodily this morning and say, come follow me, David. The, the, the call is not for you to understand everything. It's to follow him. Literally, where is he going? Right? And for most of us, man, we read this and we go, I don't get it. Obviously, I'm not a Christian. Baloney. Baloney. We're learning. We're walking. And so I want to encourage you, step forward and just follow Jesus. And he's going to teach you what that looks like more and more. Okay, so today I want to give you a little background and context for this gospel so that we have some framework through which to view it. Um, so I'm going to tell you a little bit about the gospel of Mark. Is that cool? Uh, we're going to talk just about the stuff that's not in there that frames up like why this is what it is and how it came to be. And then we're just going to push in a little bit uh, for a minute into the background and what's so meaningful about this gospel for a first century Jew so that you can put yourself there. Okay. Um, scholars say that the Gospel of Mark was the first of the four Gospels that was written. Um, most scholars agree that this was like the primary account that fed Matthew and Luke. Uh, and so it's really powerful to, to see and to understand that like this, this Gospel became kind of a framework for the other Gospels to take shape. So as you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, for many of you if you're new to the Scriptures, you're going to start to realize, apart from John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke share a lot of similarities, and there's a reason for that. These guys were journeying with Jesus, and they all saw his, his action and activity from different perspectives. I don't know if you ever went to, like, uh, a movie together, like three or four guys, and then you're trying to recount the movie, and all of you share a different perspective on the same exact thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? Or you're watching a football game, or you're doing some activity together, and you see this broad perspective of the exact same circumstance. That's what we see in the Gospels. And the world has often taken that and said, it must not be true. The accounts aren't exactly the same. Well, it's different people. They're talking about the same event from their perspective and how the Holy Spirit was speaking to them. And so it's a really beautiful way to understand the scripture that God proves the reality of what's happening through Jesus through lots of people, not through one. We don't believe in just a singular revelation, right? It's not like Islam, where there's a singular revelation and everybody has to believe that singular. God has done it through 66 books of the Bible, and, and uh, I don't know how many authors. You guys know how many authors of the Scripture? No? Okay. Guys, come on. Where? Not 22 for sure. All right. <laughs> 22 authors for 66 books. Ah, scholars fail. Okay. Um, just when you thought you knew a guy. Um, all right. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Sorry. Um, so, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, is kind of that first account, and it's widely agreed upon that Mark was written from the city of Rome. Uh, Mark was a translator for Simon Peter, and so Simon Peter actually was executing his ministry in the city of Rome, if you know anything about church history. Uh, so he's there under the great persecutions that are happening, and he stays in the city ultimately to his death. Um, but during that time, John Mark is there with Simon Peter, some people say that Simon Peter actually um, like gave him the gospel and that Mark just penned it, but most scholars agree that this is John Mark's perspective, okay? Uh, now, it's really important to see that John Mark is not an apostle. He's not one of the superior 12, you know? Like, he is, he's a guy who was there in the crowd, who saw Jesus doing things. He was there when people were coming to Christ in droves, when people were being healed in signs and wonders. And somehow through this man's life, this gospel is elevated to one of the primary ways that people come into contact with the person of Jesus. And what does that say about my life and your life? That God uses ordinary, normal people who sometimes are bystanders and encounter the grace and the goodness of God, and God will use your life 
to bring other people to him. You don't have to be a professional. You don't have to be the best. You simply have to be there with Jesus, right? And then you tell about everything that you've seen, everything that he's done. And so this is Mark's circumstance. Um, History tells us, again, that he was Peter's translator. He was there with him. And that this gospel was written sometime in the early 50s A.D., And so if you can imagine it, like when I was a kid and I would read the scriptures, I thought, well, surely this is how they were written. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you get into all the letters that Paul wrote and into Revelation, and this is orderly. And it didn't happen like that, right? Mark is written sometime around A.D. 50, the exact same times that 1 Thessalonians and Galatians and 1 Corinthians were written, right? And so we've got all of these things are happening at the same time. Jesus comes and he is... He's resurrected and ascended in A.D. 33. And then in the next 17 years, there is just this wild movement where the church is being persecuted, where the gospel is moving out in ways that we don't understand. Acts is being written by Luke. Um, So all of these things are happening at the same time. There's this convergence of the truth of God kind of boiling up on the scene. And so it's really beautiful to watch that happen. Um, What else do we know about Mark? Mark was also known as John Mark. He was uh, the cousin of Barnabas. You guys remember Barnabas? So out of Acts chapter 12 and 13, this guy Barnabas shows up on the scene, and very quickly he's like given a nickname. You know that people like you a lot when they give you a nickname right out of the gate, you know? Um, So he comes up in a time in the church where people are selling properties, and they're giving uh, that money, that income, to the apostles to spread out to everybody. Uh, That would be an interesting way to do offering this morning, you know? Like, sell your extra house, sell your extra pair of shoes, come bring the money and lay it down um, at my feet, and I will disperse it, you know? But that's what was happening in Acts. And um, Barnabas came, and he had sold these properties, and he put all the money at the apostles' feet, and it says that they called him Barnabas, or son of encouragement. And so this guy very quickly was just known as, a, as an encourager and became a very trusted ally of the apostles. He would, they would send him out on these journeys simply to check and see what God was up to in places and how they could support the movement of God in these new locations. And, uh, and John Mark is the cousin of Barnabas. Um, and so we also see John Mark kind of pop up in the stories of Paul and Barnabas. In fact, if you look in the book of Acts, when Antioch is praying, it says that teachers and prophets are together and they're praying and seeking the Lord's face and worshiping. Suddenly they drop this word into their hearts as a community. Hey, you guys need to set uh, Paul and Barnabas apart to me and I'm going to send them on this missionary journey. Okay, so this morning, like if we were worshiping together a couple minutes ago, and suddenly there's a corporate vision that Britain and, uh, and John need to be sent out for the gospel. Can you imagine? Like we just all know in our hearts this morning, hey, these guys need to go and take this step of faith, and we partner with it, and we send them. But they take a small team with them, and on that team is John Mark. Um, And it's really short-lived. Like it's kind of a dramatic story. If you look in chapter 13, you get all the way to verse 13, and John Mark bails on them and runs back to Jerusalem. And it like causes this big conflict in this early group of people. And so I love that even in the story of the Gospels, what you're going to find is that people are people, right? And even the apostles are getting into fights with each other and like having to figure out how they can work it out. And somehow that's strangely comforting to me because I grew up in the church, you know, and like we tend to talk about church hurt. And I realize that's uh, it's just hurt, you know, it's just people doing life and trying to figure out how to do relationships together. And so we're going to see some of that. And I really want to enunciate this like Paul disliked John Mark so much that he would not let him come on other missionary journeys with him. This guy had bailed out in a moment of great need 
for these guys. And the result of it was that Paul didn't think he was up to the task to help them any longer. And so we see later in Paul's ministry, he actually calls and he says, please send John Mark. He's really helpful to me. And there's this like subtle, it's not, it's not overstated. It's very quiet. But I don't know about for you. Uh, when I read that, there is this thing that pricks my heart that for many of us, we feel like we've failed in ministry or failed in what God's called us to. And uh, we feel like we're, we need to be put up on the shelf and removed from action because somehow we're no longer useful to the Lord. Have you ever felt like that? And somehow in the gospel of Mark, we take a guy who his failure is exposed. He fled from the apostles and somehow he is still the first gospel that is written. And somehow he becomes useful in Paul's story again. And somehow he is fully connected to the kingdom of God being spread in the earth. I just want to share with you today, if that's you and if you've been in this place where you feel like, man, my history and my story has removed me from being a part of what God's doing. The story of John Mark speaks to the absolute opposite of that. That your life is absolutely redeemable and that God doesn't chuck you away because you made a mistake. That you're in covenant relationship with him and he promises to use your life for his glory. And so I want to invite you just to recognize that in John Mark's gospel, we see a redemption happen that you and I need to embrace for ourselves. Um, Okay, so the purpose of this letter, are you guys still with me? That's a lot of information today. I won't apologize because it's necessary, but I know it's a lot of info. Um, The purpose of the Gospel of Mark is simply to proclaim that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah and the Son of God. And for us, this is really like secondhand information. We know this. How many of you knew Jesus was the Messiah this morning when you came in? All right, good, excellent. Um, People, you you don't even have to read the Bible and you know that, right? Um, For us, this is secondhand information, but if we step into the shoes of the first century Jew, this is startling. This is shocking information. This gospel isn't like they read it and they're like, oh, yeah, 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 we knew that. No, they're blown away. And for them, this, this has so many implications in how they live um, that that's why it's such a shocking statement. In fact, if we fast forwarded to the end of the book, the end of the book uh, finishes with two ladies running away because they're so terrified about the presence of Jesus. And there's no resolution to the story. Like it leaves it kind of up in arms so that you know you have to wrestle with whether or not these claims are true. And so even as the church of Jesus Christ, people who have received faith, we see this. But I want to ask you to wrestle with what Jesus is actually saying about himself. And what does it mean for you? If he is the son of God and Messiah, what does that mean for us on a Tuesday? Are you with me? It's a, it's a vast difference. Um, so from the time of Adam and Eve, there were these prophecies, these supernatural words that had knowledge about the future given through people called prophets. And this is really important. If you're going to understand how first century Jews, um, how they would have received the gospel of Mark, for them, they had received these prophecies for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years about the coming Messiah. Um, rabbinic law, I think there was something like 400 messianic prophecies. Um, most people, if you ask them today, there's something like 40 that they'll quote. But for them, they were, they were um, like overwhelmed with these, these prophecies about this coming Messiah. How many of you know the word Messiah? You've heard it before. That word Messiah means anointed one. And that begs another question. An- anointed by what and for what, right? Again, we're stepping into Judaism. Are you with me? And so for him, they were looking for this guy who was going to be the Messiah. And so for more than um, 
a thousand years, it's more than that, um, they're looking for this guy who uh, is the anointed deliverer and descendant of David who would come and restore Israel and God's righteousness. So for the nation of Israel, this wasn't like um, some random piece of information that came to them. They were looking intently for the person of Jesus all the time. This was a part of their history. This was a part of the messianic claims and their prophecies. They knew this guy was coming. And that word Messiah is the Hebrew word, and the Greek word for it is Christ. So when we talk about Jesus Christ, it's not his last name. It's a title, okay? And it's like calling him Jesus Messiah. It's the same thing. And so the Hebrew word and the, you know, is it funny? I don't know. <laughs> Most of the time when you're little, you're like, yeah, his name was Jesus Christ. Uh, and then you realize Jews didn't use last names. This is a real problem. Um, so Messiah was the Hebrew word for anointed one. Christ meant the same exact thing. Um, and it points back to this practice all through the nation of Israel. Anytime a king was selected for the nation of Israel, they would come with a vat of oil, not like a precious little bottle, like a vat of oil, and they would put it on his head and dump it. Now, I don't know if you've ever just, have you ever tried to take just straight oil and drink it? I mean, it is like, it's like a blanket oil, you know? So you can imagine when they, when they cover you in oil, like the story of David being anointed as king. It's pretty humorous. Or Saul, when he is anointed by Samuel to be king, he goes back in after being dumped all this oil on, and he tries to play it cool and act like nothing happened. That story's a lot funnier if you read it with that in mind. It's like if I took a bucket of olive oil and just drenched you this morning, and then you went to the restaurant and acted like nothing happened, you'd look like a crazy person, you know? Well, this says that the Messiah, the anointed one, is a person like the kings of old in Israel who is coming to rule. And he's, gonna, he's coming to reign. He's going to restore Israel to everything they once were, to rulership and authority and lordship over all of the earth. This was Israel's framework for their purpose in the world. They were going to rule everything for God. And they said, this anointed one, this Messiah, he's coming and he's going to rule just like King David. And King David's legacy was this. King David came in and he killed everybody who opposed God. That was his deal. Sweet King David, precious King David, murdered everybody who was opposed to God. And so what are they calling for in the Messiah? They are calling for a religious and political leader who will devour all the enemies of God. And they are intently looking. It's not like a momentary thing. It's not a shock. They're saying, like on a Tuesday, the best thing that can happen is if Messiah shows up. And on Wednesday, man, we're looking for the Messiah. In fact, my dad and I were in Israel last year. Do you remember they had posters of this guy that they all hoped was Messiah still up everywhere? Thousands of years in, because for the Jews, they still don't believe in Jesus, right? For the vast majority. And so there were signs all over the streets of this guy they were hoping would be the Messiah. Think about that. Think about the level of hope that they have put into this man showing up. This person coming to rule over them in righteousness and in justice. We see this in Isaiah 61. What is Jesus anointed to do? He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me and he has anointed me to preach good news to who? The poor. To give sight to the blind. To proclaim freedom for those who are in captivity and freedom. Freedom. The year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus comes, and he doesn't come to the empires of the world. He comes into the streets. He comes into the dirt. He comes into the places that for many of us, we understand more than we like to admit because we're dirty, and we're broken, and we've been there. We live there, and that is where Jesus comes 
to proclaim freedom to those individuals and to those peoples. And this is the gospel. That we, in the same way as first century Jews, are looking forward to a Messiah and a Christ who would come and make all things right. We stand on this side of the cross as people who look back at Jesus and say, He has come and He has made all things right. That He's not judging on appearance and He's not judging on our works, but He is judging on faith in Him. Trust that He is the one that transforms the human heart. He is the one that makes us sons and daughters of God. This is a wild claim that He's making. And so for the Jews, these teachings on the coming Messiah, they weren't some new idea. They were the greatest hope the Jews held on to. Everything pointed to the day when this Messiah would arrive and everything would be corrected. Um, And so I want to point to this really specifically because if we're going to understand how they're responding to the gospel, these crowds of people who see Jesus walk up and begin to heal people, we have to understand that everything hinges on Messiah for them. Everything. Everything. In fact, their entire uh, worldview is built on this idea of the coming age when the Messiah would rule as king and everything would fall back under Israel's power. And so for them, all of their hope is built into this. Um, And I think it's really important for us to ask, what does our hope depend on? As you read the story, you're going to begin to see that people have all of these built-in notions and expectations of Jesus that don't meet what he's there for. And I'd like to ask you, what, what do you expect? Is it Jesus' agenda or is it your agenda? Do we want what God wants or do we just have our own ideas for how he operates and how he comes into our lives? Um, now something strange happened and this is really where we get into the gospel of Mark. Are you guys still with me? Again, I know, information dumped today. Um, something strange happened They spent all of these thousands of years looking for King Jesus, looking for who we know as Jesus, but looking for their Messiah. And then you get into the books of the prophets when God is correcting his people uh, for the way that they have moved against him, the way that they have been idolatrous and adulterous. Um, And we get into the book of, of Malachi, the prophecies of Malachi, and after Malachi's final words, the voice of God, history tells us, goes silent for 400 years. Now, imagine that for a moment. We have only lived in a period of time where the voice of God is present, where the revelation of God is present, where God is still speaking prophetic words over his church, where you have access to God by the Spirit who lives inside of you by faith. But there was a 400-year period of time where there was no voice of God, no intimacy, no revelation, and only promises of a Messiah. Can you imagine? 400 years. Uh, it's easy for us at times to lose hope in four weeks when there's a promise that doesn't come to pass. Four months, four years. But God speaks this promise thousands of years before and then 400 years of absolute silence pass and this people is still sitting and waiting. So there's 400 years of them wrestling with what God had said, 400 years of them really fighting to believe. And so what do you do when God's voice goes silent like that? You look back to the last thing he said, right? You ever been in those seasons? Like, I know God said this, and then I'm really confused about the rest. My pastor, Paul Thomas, at Evangel Temple, he used to always say, if you're confused, go back to the last thing God said and ask, have I been obedient here? Am I continuing to walk in this place? And so what do the Israelites do? They would look back to Malachi, 
All right, so we're going to read through Malachi 3, 1 through 2, and Malachi 4, 4 through 6 together. Um, and it'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. I want to encourage you through this series, would you bring a physical Bible? I actually want to encourage you toward that. If, uh, if you're from my generation and below, you spend most of your time on a cell phone distracted. Um, and so just engaging with a tangible source that is not digital will really help you, I promise. Uh, and if you're a little bit ADD like me, you know, then uh, this really helps to focus. And so I want to encourage you to bring your scripture with you. Uh, so in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, we see what God's intention is uh, as he's leading toward the gospel of Mark, right? These are the final words before he speaks again through Jesus. And he says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he will be like a refiner's fire or a launderer's soap. Listen to that rich promise. That God is speaking to Israel. You've been looking for Messiah. You've been looking for the one to come. And I'm telling you he's coming, but he's not coming to fulfill the expectations that you have for him. He's coming to do something different. He is going to be like a refiner's fire. That fire that burns out all of the dross, all the stuff in your life and in mine that does not belong. For them, a refiner's fire was stoked really hot, and they would put metal in there with all these impurities, and it would melt the metal down, and it would burn the impurities up because the heat was too hot to let anything else stay. He's saying this coming Messiah will be like that. Like Whatever is in you, if you're going to be in him, if you're going to be under his authority, he's going to scorch out all that junk, and it will burn clean. And what he will leave is going to be usable and moldable and malleable by the hand of God for his use. He's a refiner's fire. He's also like this launderer's soap. Uh, we didn't do this in my age. I like hearing my dad and his generation talk about, you know, when his parents or grandparents would scrub them clean because they would use these soaps that were really harsh. Um, what was it called? Lye soap? And just tear you up, take a layer of skin off. You know, you came out pink and fresh, no matter what color you went in as. <laughs> just scrubbed them, scrubbed a whole layer off. It says, Jesus, the Messiah, is coming back as the launderer's soap. You can't help but to get clean when you're with him. He takes off all of the mess. And I don't know about for you, but even this morning, like I recognize, I walk with Jesus, and there are still layers coming off. And there's still stuff that the, the Spirit of God is burning out of my life that he says cannot stay, will not stay if you're going to be with me. This is the promise of who Messiah is. Malachi 4, 4 through 6, he says he's turning the people of Israel back to the old ways. He says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord uh, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with destruction. So there is this promise. Guys, Messiah is coming. He is coming. He will be different than you think. He will burn away all the iniquity and sin from your life. And yet, there is a forerunner who is Elijah who's coming before him, a messenger. And so God is giving these kind of clarion calls. Look for the signs. Look for the signs. And here in the book of Mark, we see exactly that. But the people are left with a promise. They're left with an instruction and a warning about the Lord's coming. And then silence for 400 years. You know, God's promises demand periods of waiting. And more often than not, 
um, most of us are a little impatient with that process. Maybe you have some promises that were spoken over your life that you have not seen come to pass. That doesn't mean they won't. It just means they haven't. And it also strikes me that there are some promises God will speak to your life, and maybe the most important ones, that won't even come to pass in your lifetime. Are you hearing me? For 400 years of silence, they waited for Messiah. Sometimes the greatest promise that God speaks over us is too big for our lifetime. Sometimes it happens in generations after us. Seven generations pass from the time God speaks about the launderer's soap and the refining fire to Jesus' coming. What does that tell us about our lives? What kind of patience does that breed in us? And perspective, does that cause us to step back into it and say, God, I, I trust you. I don't see this. You know, how does Abraham handle the fact that God promises him descendants as numerous as the stars and he only saw one? Are you with me? God, your promise, you got to fulfill. God always fulfills his promises. There is never a promise that God has spoken that he doesn't fulfill. Not a single one. And for some of you this morning, you may be at the very point of wrestling to believe that the promise God speaks through his word, through his son, and into your life, that it's not being delivered. And the, the, the assurance I'm going to give you this morning is that God always delivers on what he has said. We may not see it in our lifetime, though. And that's just real. Are you with me? And that's a little frustrating sometimes for us. We want to see everything come to fruit. But God's faithful. And he brings things about in the right time and in the right way. And so this morning, I want you to step into the shoes of these people who for 400 years have been under the silence of God's voice. And then suddenly, just like that, this wild man named John appears on the scene. 400 years of waiting and passing on bedtime stories about the Messiah. And suddenly, they hear about this guy in the desert who's baptizing people. We hear about this man, maybe, just maybe, there is hope that he is the one that Malachi spoke of. Is it possible? Is it possible that this man who is wearing camel's hair and is eating locusts and honey is, is crazy? This guy's crazy, right? Maybe. Or maybe he's the messenger that God was talking about all along, who was coming to prepare the way. If this is Elijah, then Messiah must not be far behind. Every one of us is entrusted with promises, with periods of waiting, and then we get to see the fruit. And the question is, will we believe in the same way they did? The scripture tells us they went out in droves to him. Why? Pharisees, Sadducees, everybody. They went out in droves because they thought, maybe, maybe this is the hope of Israel. For us this morning, just like the Jews 2,000 years ago, we stand waiting for the kingdom of God to come in fullness. To come in fullness. You know, the brilliant thing about what's happening in the earth today is that with all of the incredible stuff that God is doing, the word they use for it in the scripture is first fruits. That we're standing in a first fruits of the fullness of the kingdom of God. Just like John was announcing the coming of Jesus, we have seen the coming of Jesus to produce salvation and freedom for us. And Jesus is coming again not to just come back and forgive more sins. He's actually coming back to rule and to reign. The scripture tells us that he is coming back as the king who will be seated in Jerusalem and rule over the entire earth. We're not just being taken up. He's coming here 
to rest. Are you with me? And the way that we receive this coming king is totally different. So listen to me today. Maybe you find in yourself the story of Mark is very familiar. Maybe you feel like a bit of a failure. Today, the king is still on the way, and he is calling you to stand up and to follow him. He's calling you there. And for some of you, you're wrestling with faith at the lowest level. You haven't received Jesus, or maybe you've grown up in church all your life, but your heart is a little hard to the idea. That's okay. Listen, listen this morning. Jesus' claim is that he is the Messiah and the Son of God. He cannot just be a good human and a good teacher. He's either what he said he was or he's a lunatic. It's one or the other. And so for us today, it's to open our hearts once again and say, Jesus, are you? Are you the Son of God? Are you the Messiah? There's no judgment in this place. I trust Jesus to reveal himself to you through the body of Scripture and through the Spirit in the same way he's brought all of us to the kingdom. Um, And so I just want to close with the first line of the book of John. Is that okay? Of Mark, sorry. It says, this is the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That's it. As we step into this series and months to come, um, I, I want you to follow along with us. I want your expectation to be that you'll meet Jesus for yourself. For some of you this morning, even in this introduction, you feel the Holy Spirit drawing you to respond to Jesus as King. You know, our generation's great about responding to Jesus as Savior. It's fantastic. But he's coming back as King. He's not just saving my soul, he's ruling the earth. And so how will you respond to his Lordship? You just want him to clean you up and forgive you? Or are you also willing to submit and surrender your life to his leadership? That's a different thing. He loves you. And he wants to reveal himself to you. And he's gentle enough to call you and to show you exactly who he is as you walk with him. Amen? Will you stand to your feet this morning? Thank you for your patience with all that information. We wanted to make sure we're setting a pretty good foundation as we step forward into this um, this series in months to come. This morning, I don't want to miss this moment. For some of you, um, Jesus has revealed himself in that fashion. And you know him as Messiah, and you know him as Son of God. But for others of you in here this morning, you, you haven't been following him. You haven't surrendered your life to him. This is the good news about Jesus. That it is not by my works, or by my pedigree, or by where I'm from, or how well I speak, or how much I know about the Bible, that I'm justified before God. But it is by the blood that was shed on the cross that I am made a son. The scripture tells me that it is by grace through faith in Christ. Grace is just a great word that means gift. It's by the gift of God that you are able to believe in Jesus Christ for the atonement of your sin, for the covering over of everything you've ever done that removed you from God's presence. And it's by that faith, faith not just that believes, but that lives differently, transformed. This faith will cause you to believe Jesus for who he said he is. This faith will demand things of your life because you live it differently because of who Jesus is. And this morning, if that gospel is pressing in on your heart and you're saying, man, I want to respond to that. I want to belong to Jesus. I want to be justified because of faith, not by anything I'm trying to do to earn my way to God. You can't get there. He is holy and perfect in all his ways. But through his son, Jesus, the human 
son of man, son of God. He has made a bridge to him.